It's Tried and True, the DC United Post Game Podcast, presented by Heineken. And guys, somehow we're already on week number eight of the coronavirus hiatus. But we've got a great show for you tonight. Roy Maleta is coming up here, Director of Team Administration at DC United, uh, in about 10 or 15 minutes. Uh, but until then, guys, MLS players are allowed to train individually at team facilities again. We're trending in the right direction, maybe? Yeah, I'm Yeah, yeah. For my part, I wonder how much of that is actually getting uh, a return to normalcy, and how much of that is saying, "Hey, we've got players who are out working out in parks, working out you know, in places where we're not really encouraging people to go." If we can find a place way for them to do it safely, at least that you know protects us from you know, bad press and lets the guys continue to work out because we know these guys are motivated that they're going to do the work they need to do. But you know, some soccer movements you have to do outside your living room, so that, that that's kind of my take on it. Yeah, it, I mean, it might be a little bit of a, a strong fear for how teams will operate um, with kind of social distancing guidelines um, and. You know, if we do go to those closed door games, like, you know, this might be a little bit of a segue into that. Yeah, I'm curious to see which one this applies to because DC United uh, is in the process of building that training facility out in Loudoun. Uh, I, I know it's under construction or was under construction before this all started, but I know the team was practicing and, and I think some of the youth teams were practicing at the fields next to RFK still. So, uh, yeah, so they have still got their uh, they still got their designated. Uh, I think they have two fields at RFK. Of course, we can ask Rory for the specifics on that here shortly. Um, but yeah, they I know that they've got it's you know separate from the new area that they just redid, which is beautiful by the way. Um, DC United does have their facilities still there, so I would expect that players would be allowed to go um, go there. I, I did find it kind of interesting in in the long press release from MLS. They said something like you know bathrooms will not be available to players. And I was like, well, you know, that's something DC United has been used to for a little while at, at, at the RFK <laughs> facility. So really, really no change there. <laughs> but soon, soon we'll be in Loudoun. Um, you know, it was, it was interesting to see this week, uh, actually just today, not long before the show started, Black, you texted the group and, and ESPN's breaking some news that FIFA's talking about maybe taking the entire world to the, uh, the MLS calendar, if you will. <laughs> What's up with that? Yeah. I mean, for years, MLS was dogged for the current schedule, but it, it could be the solution to getting things back on track post-coronavirus. And, and also with the uh, World Cup coming up in Qatar being in the, in the winter, it could solve some like, things. Yeah, I apologize for you know, I forget what the name of the official, but it was talking about, hey, you know, we play these games in Germany and France and these great locations that have fairly temperate summers, and we choose to play games through the weather when most of the players are miserable. Um, yeah, we've seeing that problem in MLS. That's why we don't play games in January, February. So I think we always wondered, hey, is MLS going to get pulled that way? Um, and it seemed like it wasn't going to be a permanent shift, although who knows what comes back on the new normal. But uh, you know, certainly, especially with the World Cup moving to December, didn't we change the calendar around for a cycle or two uh, then go back to whatever works? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a really interesting article like you said, it was one of the FIFA officials kind of speculating on it didn't necessarily come from any of the leagues. But, I mean, part of the argument for not talking has been, like, it would be an awkward transition, you know, because players need, like, off-season time, you know, 
idea would they like to play the season, you know, it'd be kind of awkward. So, I mean, the arguments you made, he was saying, did kind of make sense and that when he can return to soccer again, you know, it might make sense to finish out um, this season kind of in the fall, early winter-ish, and then just start next season, um, you know, for the first time in like winter going into spring, which would be interesting. And then you're right, it's like the World Cup cycle. Um, so I think it would be hard to transition back. Like, what would that look like? And are these leagues like that wedded to the way that they're doing it right now? Who absolutely want to switch back in five or six years? I don't know. Well, I think it's particularly tough too. With the the you've got the Summer Olympics next year, right? Um, I I think we're on a Gold Cup year next year, if I, if I remember correctly. And uh, and they moved Euro twenty twenty to to twenty twenty one. Although they're still calling it Euro twenty twenty, which is definitely not going to be confusing like ten years from now when we're when we're looking back on it. Hey, um, they made the t shirts, so they got to be. You know. That's true. Some warehouse somewhere is stuffed with Euro twenty twenty merch, and they're like, we're not losing more money. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know how they pull it off, and, and frankly, you know, I, I think looking ahead even to the 2026 World Cup, like if they were going to try to stay on that calendar, you're going to run into issues here. I mean, Canada's supposed to host a couple games, um, and there's a lot of northern U.S. cities on, on the list. You can't do that in, in November, December. You run into problems with, you know, obviously sharing with football teams, but also just the weather uh, and so I think at some point they're going to have to shift back it, it, it's going to be fascinating well and you worry about as well like a lot of those teams make a lot of money when they come and play in the United States or play in Asia during the summer months you know they sell expensive tickets they fill stadiums and people want to come see those stars are they going to have that line of revenue if they try to hold a game in December in you know Atlanta or Maryland maybe maybe not but uh it would definitely be a challenge. Certainly smaller compared to doing the, the full calendar, but uh, you know, just another thing to think about. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't even really think of that. Um, I don't know. We'll see, I guess. It'd be a crazy thing to come out of this. Yeah, and, and across Europe right now, you know, there's there's all kinds of leagues are making different decisions based on their governments obviously over there it's, it's kind of similar to the u.s with with the, the various states going in different directions with stay-at-home orders and when they're reopening and how they're reopening but you know we've seen in in the netherlands and in in, in uh france their seasons are completely done um in in uh i believe in the netherlands they declared no one a champion in france they declared psg the champion which uh the rest of the league is not thrilled about the and and of course the Bundesliga was supposed to uh, get a ruling this past week to come back. Um, they've all been training together. The the German government punted on on an official ruling, and uh, <laughs> Friday, unfortunately, Cologne three different individuals and they didn't say they're necessarily players, uh, so they could be uh, you know members of the team, members of the administration, but um, all were diagnosed with coronavirus, uh, tested positive on Friday. So it's it's not great news. Yeah, and it's really interesting in, in France as well because the one of the teams that did lost out because the the season ended sooner is threatening suing the league because they, I mean, there's a lot of money behind finishing first in the league and you know PSG were were way in ahead in, in that but the rest of the spots in that league uh, go to either UEFA or or Europe uh, and so man to be to be cut out of that because someone decided the season was just over is crazy. I, I, there's no real solution here. We've talked about it, speculated about it a bunch. Um, 
but there's real money on the line and I can, I can empathize with these teams that feel a little bit shortchanged. I'm just trying to imagine what we would do in a similar situation. Say we had this current pandemic hit at the end of September as we're wrapping up the regular season. Say that you know most of the spots, except for maybe the bottom slide or two in the in the playoff brackets, are done, and we're just waiting to play the playoffs, but can't do it for the foreseeable future. You know, how long do we sit and wait on it? You know, I think we've got a bit of an advantage because we were so early in the season that there's still plenty of time to you know, try to piece things back together. And that may be part of why we've been kind of slow in getting an answer out of the league on how and when. Frankly, I don't think they know either. But it, it's a mess uh, across the board. Yeah, I, I think the, the best comparison here in the U.S. is probably, you know, the NCAA basketball tournaments. Um, and, and as devastated as I was that, that those got canceled, I think, you know, from a sporting perspective, we were kind of in – in a better position because you know one it was at the very start of how things were were you know how the breakout was starting in the u.s really so most of everyone's attention was on safety at the time and it, it it's there's so many more schools involved in that competition than in you know a, a 20 or 30 team you know league right and, and the tournament hadn't actually officially started so it it, it you know, it's, it's definitely something that we missed out on, but it, it doesn't necessarily feel as incomplete because it just, it never started, you know? And I think that MLS feels like that a little bit. And, you know, we were two weeks in, I very much want them to figure out a way to, like, finish the season or play games and things like that. I think it definitely feels very different for us to talk about what would happen if we were to stop the season than what all these European teams and all these European fans feel like. Yeah, and, and one one league that didn't quite get to start their season, uh, but we're supposed to today is the NWSL. Today was supposed to be the first uh, first match for the spirit of the season. Yeah, so yeah, I haven't looked that much into you know what that league is doing. Obviously, they have um, a lot fewer games to play just because they're a smaller league. Um, so you know they may have a better shot at coming back and playing more of their games. I don't know. I think it, it, it's really sad for the spirit because they had a, such a huge year coming on. They had, you know, they were going to test out this new thing where they were playing three games and loud in three games uh, in Maryland and three games at Audi Field. And I, I would really love to see what those attendances looked like and, and, you know, been cheering them on as they succeeded in kind of moving into the district. Um, so hopefully they, they pick up right where they left off. Yeah, it, it's a fascinating time for the spirit and, and really for, for women's soccer as a whole. And I think we're going to talk a little bit later um, about the recent uh, women's national team ruling, which is a bit of a setback for them. Um, and and uh, we'll talk more about that uh, along with the potential for an MLS and Liga MX merger um, after our next segment, but Roy Maleta is ready to join us here. So we're going to throw it to break. We'll bring him on and we'll be right back here on tried and true. The DC United post game podcast presented by Heineken.
And we're back here on Tried and True, the DC United postgame podcast presented by Heineken. And unfortunately, it's another week without a postgame show, but we've got a special treat this week. Uh, it's DC United's Director of Team Administration, Rory Maleda. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, we're, we're super excited uh, to, to have you on. And, you know, we got to start with, you know, how are you holding up uh, and, and, and really the team as a whole um, during the global pandemic right now? This is obviously not something I assume you guys plan for much in the offseason. <laughs> nothing we plan for, nothing we're used to. I mean, I, I keep saying, like, I've never been not busy during, you know, what month are we in? May now. Um, so it's just like a weird, I don't know, it's a weird transition, right? And, and obviously everybody's dealing with it and, I'm lucky to still obviously have a job and I know a lot of people have, have you know, been affected by this. Uh, and that's something that we've tried to help out a little bit on the, on the team side. Um, but, you know, holding up. Okay. Just trying to keep a routine, keep uh, in touch with the guys, making sure they're doing their workouts, sending emails, <laughs> sending up calls, you know, it's all I can do really. Unfortunately, uh, there's still work to do, but obviously if we're not traveling, we're not training, you know, it cuts our work low down quite a bit unfortunately not something that i want to be you know i want to be busy i want to be working but we'll get there we'll get there one day yeah um so for those who don't know what is your role with the team what do you do for the team you know during a normal season yeah so um just like you said i'm a director of team administration is my title and i basically plan all the logistics for our travel so uh, preseason, you know regular season games Games, um, the flights, the hotels, the meals, the buses, um, everything that is involved with getting the team from you know DC to wherever we were supposed to be in Seattle this weekend, uh, for example. So uh, I'm sad about that trip because that would have been a fun one. But uh, yeah, and then on the other side, I deal with players that come into our team, um, so helping with relocation and getting them and their families in. Um, kind of, you know, a little jack of all trades type situation. Uh, but my main role is is the travel and the logistics of all that stuff. Yeah, we've gotten to talk to Andy a few times and I know he enjoys that the preseason is near his other house down in Florida. So I'm sure he appreciates you organizing those trips. Uh, yeah, you- for sure. No, trust me, after a DC winter, I also enjoy organizing that trip. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. Uh, can you tell us about how you, how you came about joining DC United? Yeah, so I grew up uh, near Fairfax, so in, in Fairfax County in Virginia. So I've been going to DC United games since, you know, as early as I can remember um, at good old RFK. And I just kind of knew that I wanted to be a part of the club in some way um, after being a fan for so many years. So after college, I interned for the operations department um, and I loved it. And I met my former boss who was the team administrator before me. Um, and we kind of stayed in touch. I got another job. And then six months later, he called me and said, hey, I have this coordinator position open. You know, you're interested. And immediately and I was like, all right, see you guys. Like I'm going to work for DC United. Uh, so that's how I started. And with that role, I was, you know, I was entry level. I was dealing with like airport pickups and, um, you know, a lot of the same stuff I do today, honestly, but uh, we're, I don't know, it, was, it was a bit of a we we're less staffed yeah. so it was just me and him um, so we were doing quite a bit and I was doing quite a bit and it was after the 2013 season which you guys might 
remember or not, bottom, but it didn't go too great for us. So, <laughs> so there was a there was a big turnover in players and on the team <clears throat> that next offseason or that offseason, um, leading into the 2014 season, which was my first like full time season. So I was from the start, you know, picking up players every other day, driving a huge van to and from the hotel to training, like. It was quite the, you know, really just thrown into the fire at the beginning there, but it made me appreciate the club and the hard work that this role takes and this, you know, kind of world takes. I didn't really know much about it before I met um, Francisco Tobar, who was my predecessor. Um, and I learned so much from him and unfortunately he left the club, but on the positive end, it gave me a, a role, you know, the opportunity to, to get this role. So really excited about that. That's awesome. You know, it's it's been good until the global pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that kind of puts a crimp in everything. It's, it's cool to hear that we've got you know homegrown talent in the uh, front office pool as well. So yeah, for sure. I mean, it's and honestly, even if it's not a homegrown, like even if it's not somebody from the area, there's so many people at the club who interned and started out that way and started out at RFK. So like they know how it was, right? Like they appreciate <laughs> Audi. They appreciate like all the things that we have now. And I'm sure as fans, like you guys are the same way. It's, it's, you went through with that and sacrificed and suffered <laughs> through that stuff. Those were all those years. And now we're at this great stadium that we can enjoy. Um, so it's the same on our end, sure. which is nice. Yeah. You mentioned you know, that this weekend we were supposed to be in Seattle and I think all of us would love to make that trip at some point. How would that have worked? When would the team have flown out? What does that trip look like from your end? Yeah. So, um, just in general, a trip takes about a month to plan. Uh, you know, it's not like every day, 30 days out, I'm, I'm working on it. But every couple of days leading up to probably a week or two, uh, there's stuff to do, right? That you're looking at menus, you're approving menus for the hotel, you're making sure the flight is all booked. And I have seats arranged for everybody. Um, you know, I got the bus movements all squared away. So there's a lot that goes into it. It's just little pieces. Like it's a, it's a big process. And the quicker you get down and, and check things off on, the, on that list, um, the easier it is when you get there, obviously, because getting to the trip, you know, once you're traveling, everything should be planned. I spent the last month planning this trip. Um, all you're doing really when you're traveling is making sure everything goes according to plan. Mm -hmm. And there are, you know, many instances where that does not happen. So you're there to troubleshoot, right? Um, so we would have traveled, you know, two days before the game um, on a Thursday train out there at either their facility or we find another facility that's you know that the coaches like the coaching sucks you know depending on where the hotel is where the the team's training facility is all that stuff goes into planning um, and because we played this was like a five o'clock game it was an early game so it would have been i think we we're still gonna that like do we come home the night of the game because we have a little bit of time do we come home the next night um this year we have charters or we had charters. So that was a whole discussion of, oh, should we take a charter to Seattle? Should we take a charter back from Seattle? Uh, so that made things a little more complicated, just trying to decide which ones to use. And I think this is one of the ones we would have used, which would have been nice. But again, here we are sitting home in DC. Yeah, you know, I've, I've found myself complaining a little bit amongst the group here that some of our trips could be in jeopardy this year but you know what i'm not going to complain anymore after hearing that story because i can't imagine the headaches that you have uh regularly but especially when there's a global pandemic i mean it, it's it's for sure <laughs> i mean the so we played two games at home which i was so fortunate 
to have like that schedule. Like, but after a month away in preseason, we come home, we're two weeks at home. It's like, all right, great. I get a little break and then I get to plan for Cincinnati and like actually focus on Cincinnati as a whole, as opposed to just like doing it while I'm in preseason. Cause other teams were like flying across the country after their preseasons, you know, MLS schedule is uh, unique, <laughs> unique and challenging for a lot of people, <laughs> but leading up to Cincinnati because Ohio was kind of one of the first governments to be really strict on sporting events and, and their governor uh, was very proactive about the coronavirus like response. Um, we kind of in our, the back of our heads knew that it was never going to happen. We knew that Ohio was not going to let us play. It was a little different for everybody else because people had games everywhere, other, obviously other cities. Um, and that's the weekend that the league finally decided that we wouldn't, nobody would be playing, that the league was going to go on hold. But it was, okay, we're going to do our commercial flight. Then, oh, no, everybody has to charter. Okay, no, we're going to charter on this day and, like, go straight to the game. They're, that, like, three or four days before that trip was supposed to happen were probably the craziest because every day something's new is happening. New information from the state of Ohio, new information from our ownership, from the league. There's so much going on. And at the end of the day, it, it's not frustrating because it's obviously my job and I, I have no problem like doing my job and, and I love doing it. But to do all that work and then all of a sudden, like, you know, the trip gets canceled, the whole league is on hold. Um, of course, it was the smart way the thing to do. It was not, we, I would not have wanted to travel knowing what we know now. Um, so I'm happy that we stayed home, but, you know, a couple of stressful days there. <laughs> We're live with Rory Maleta here on Tried and True, the DC United postgame podcast presented by Heineken. And if you've got questions for Rory, uh, go ahead and shoot them uh, to us using the hashtag Tried and True DCU or live uh, in the YouTube chat. Uh, so, Rory, one of the things uh, that's interesting to us talking to folks in the front office are, are there the, the rivalries that we experience with, you know, the Red Bulls or, you know, with the Union and, and folks like that. Like, does that extend off the field at all? I mean, you obviously know uh, other other folks in your role for other teams. Like, do you guys have fun rivalries with, with other folks in the front offices or how, how does that work? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think so for sure. You know, it's as obviously, again, growing up as a fan, like, I don't like the Red Bulls, right? I don't like how they play. I don't like watching them. I don't like when we play them. Do your counterparts um, there know how you feel? <laughs> <laughs> I think so, right? I think so. Um, it, on our side, it's it's obviously much more kind of fun and games because we're not on the field, like battling it out, right? Um, and because we want to make the league better and better, the best practices approach really, not best practices, I mean that also, but just like, kind of respecting one another and, you know, not, um, not doing anything to like sabotage the another team or whatever, because, you know, that could come around to bite you in the butt. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would love to see you send so, Red Bull to like Portland on a weekend. They're supposed to be in Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, it's, it's everybody, there's good banter in the group and, there, you know, we all get along really well, and there are a bunch of great guys and women also who are, are part of this, you know, the admin club, if you will. Um, but that definitely extends a little bit for sure, more so in the Northwest, like the Seattle, Portland, Vancouver. They have a good, like, pretty good banter, pretty good rivalry out there, um, which is just fun to kind of witness from the outside. Uh, but it definitely does for sure. 
That's right. Um, you know, I also grew up in Northern Virginia. I grew up in the West Virginia area, so my school had to I was just thinking about this the other day. I don't know why, but um, I don't. Okay, so on the field, there's so many good ones, right? Like, like I was at the Chisholm Four. What what do they call it? like the Battle at RFK or something? Like the Easter Conference final, the Rumble at um, between New England. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Yeah. So that was great. I was like young, but. I remember being a great game and um, I remember them winning, obviously like it was just very dramatic. So, and I was at a 2007, I think Eastern conference, like semifinal or final, um, not final. Anyway, there's been some good games, like classic games, but I think the, the one I'm going to pick and not involving Wayne at all mm-hmm. is Nick DeLeon's equalizer against Columbus um, in the playoffs right. of 2018. I, not only was it like an unbelievable goal, not only was it a great story for Nick because he had been injured the whole year, like most of the year. And it was just like, and he's a great guy. I love him so much. And um, it was great to see him just, I don't know, be on the field and contribute. Um, but the moment that that went in the atmosphere and like, the, I'm just like getting chills right now thinking about it. I've never felt anything like that in sports at all. Um, it was unbelievable. Was, and that place was so rocking that night, think. wasn't it? <laughs> it was. And I've, I've, I had friends. I like my parents come to the game because they were in town or something, and they said the same thing. Like they'd never experienced anything like that in their lives. It was just like you guys did a great. I mean, everybody, everybody was so involved in that extra time, and once he scored the goal, oh man, it just now it makes me sad too because I'm like. <laughs> There's a little part of me that's still that still game, dead but... in the supporter section from after that, but it was it was such a fun game. <laughs> I even talked to Pipa Iguain about it, like that. You know, he we talked a lot about that game actually, and uh, he said the same thing. Like the atmosphere, he's he's never felt that, or rarely have felt that uh, that kind of atmosphere for a, you know a playoff game and a MLS game. Uh, so it was just it was special to be a part of. Uh, yeah, man, you got me. Yeah, I'm feeling it again over here. I, that I game, like, like you said, it was truly magical. And oh man, we, we talked about it a little bit before, but you've been here since RFK and you transitioned to Audi Field where that magical moment happened. But uh, from the team admin side, what's the best part about being in the new stadium? Is it not having asbestos in the building or? <laughs> <laughs> Too soon, Joshua. <laughs> um, that's a good question. I, I, I don't know it doesn't really change for us like a nicer locker room you know it's cool to be in that locker room it's 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 a i don't know it, our ours job is so easy on game days like what we do is very important but we can do it anywhere right like um, it's nicer to be in great stadiums like this as opposed to rfk which you know if it rains a little too hard the tunnel will flood things like that right mm-hmm. um so I don't know, on our side, yeah, there's not too much difference. It's obviously nice to have the stadium full or almost full a lot of the times. Like, obviously, at RFK, I can count on one hand the times that they even opened up the upper tier and 
there's only one game I remember that was actually like pretty full, right? Um, the Beckham game? I, think I'm good. I didn't go to the Beckham game, but I know. Um, <laughs> I know. No, trust me, I know. <laughs> it used to be my favorite when the um, team would game tweet out New York they City. were open. Yep, that's exactly the one I'm thinking of. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we won. It was great. It was like a beautiful day. It's the last home game of the year. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. What's your favorite part of living in a city like DC? Oh man, it's just. It, first of all, it's a beautiful city. Today, for example, is a beautiful day. Everybody's supposed to be self-isolating, but um, <laughs> I was doing my exercise outside on my bike, and it was just like the greatest. I don't know. It, it's so nice to just drive down to the ball and go around the monuments and the White House and the you know the Capitol. It's it's just a historic and beautiful city. So there's that side of it, but there's so much history and so much culture and so many different types of people here. Uh, I can't tell you the number of people that I've played soccer with who are from random countries that I would have never met somebody else from. I don't know, like, it's just such a melting pot of, of nationalities and different types of people. And um, there's a big, big LGBT community here as well. And uh, that I don't, think is matched in a lot of places so this is probably one of the more important for me um that's awesome yeah um kind of switching it across town a little bit um i know you've spent a little bit of time in the uk recently um so while you were there i think you went to the dark game are you waiting kind of still in touch just generally and that kind of brought you over there yes yeah, so for a while he had asked me or he invited me hey like if you're around um in the off season come visit right and we'd love to have you and i couldn't go the previous year like between 2018 2019 um and because i obviously i knew he was leaving i was like all right this is my chance like i gotta go and going in that time like during christmas new year's is the best time to go because you can just see games all the time like i only saw three games but i probably could have seen a game every day i was there or almost every day um and I'd never been to England or I'd never been to a game in England. So it was just like, the, I don't know, it was a great trip and it was cold. It didn't rain one time. Like it was great. Uh, so I was in touch with him quite a bit in between him leaving and me being there. And since I've been there like the past five months, uh, we'll text every, you know, every couple weeks maybe. Uh, so not obviously a little different seeing him every morning and every day. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he'll, he'll be, even if we don't stay in touch for the rest of our lives, he'll be a friend and it'll be, have been a great experience and, you know, great memories together. So. No, that that's awesome. And, you know, England is probably my second or third favorite country uh, in the world. So I was fascinated to follow your trip, you know, on, on social media and, and actually was lucky to, to spend a week over there in, in January. And, and I'll admit we nice. did pretty much what you said is possible. I think we got eight seven games in eight days or something and it was it was fantastic so i mean what was your favorite part uh, of your trip and, and hopefully wayne didn't turn you into a lifelong derby fan <laughs> uh so i'm from spain i'm a big madrid fan so i'm not but teams in england like i'm not too bothered by like i liked i liked when he played for united i liked manchester united then when he left and there was a couple spanish players at man city i liked man city but anyway i'm not like tied down to a team um, being in the director's box, the Man City game was pretty cool because uh, I felt very important 
and I should not have been there. <laughs> like I, I, uh, Wayne's agent was really kind enough to connect me with somebody there, like somebody really high up there, um, uh, at city football group. And they were really nice and got me tickets. And, um, the funny part was like, I knew I was going to go to the games and I told him, Hey, that, cause he'd said, Hey, what games do you want to go to? I gave him a list. I was like, this one, this one, this one. Sorry. Cool. No problem which is like just the best connection to have. And I'm so grateful for him to him for, for having done that to me. Um, but the day before the game, he called me and said, Hey, by the way, what kind of clothes did you bring? Uh, I was like, what, do, why, what do you mean? Like clothes? <laughs> I, I don't know. He's like, well, you're going to be in the director's box for the Man City game. And you'll probably be in the director's box for the Derby game when we go there. So you need like have smart clothes. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been nice to know before I left wow. my country. Um, so I'm looking right now, like at this jacket that I bought. I just had to buy a whole new wardrobe, right? <laughs> Which is not the end of the world for me because I love to spend money. <laughs> I love to go shopping, but it was just like, all right, cool. But it was it, that was cool part to to just I don't know, sit in great seats and watch a great game. They won two 0 or two one maybe. Um, but also seeing Wayne and the family and the kids uh, was was really special. Uh, obviously, I, I spent quite a bit of time with them in, in that house and together. And I didn't see my favorite kid of the three or the four, which I was sad about. But I hope they don't listen to this. But <laughs> I was gonna say, are you gonna share which one's your favorite, or is that like you, you we don't want to go too far? <laughs> no. I mean, I, I love them all. They're all great. <laughs> he particularly just like got was connected to me. And even though he was a rampage, he was two when he first came over as Kit, the like second youngest. Um, and I just saw him like kind of grow up a little bit. Right. And it was, it was just cool. It was cool to be a part of that. Um, That's really cool. So we, we have a friend and, and a fan of the show who lives in the UK who does an own podcast, James Graham. You might know him. Uh, and he sent in this, yeah. question, he sent in this question for you. Uh, he wants to know what your favorite part of the UK is. Uh, I'm guessing Derby or, or Manchester. <laughs> Wait, where is he from? He's from, isn't he from Derby? No, no he, he's, I, I think he's from Middlesbrough or at least he's a borough fan. <laughs> okay. Cause I remember, Remember we I was on his podcast as well and, and we talked about it while I was there. Like, oh you should come. Maybe I think he's I think he lives in Derby because I was only in Derby for the game and like we drove in and drove back out right away, uh, or right after. So I didn't get to spend any time there or see him because that would have been cool to meet him. But um I have to say my favorite part is is Manchester. Um it was a really cool city, it was beautiful. Um I've been to London before, so I got to see kind of the same things. And London is obviously awesome, right? It's a great city. It's huge. It's, you know, like the New York, right? But uh, Manchester was was special. It was like smaller and not too busy, uh, but still beautiful and still had some really cool places to visit. So I think Manchester. I think uh, John and I at least have had some great times in Manchester. So uh, certainly understanding where you're coming from. The, the pregame before a Man <laughs> City game is a good time for sure. <laughs> oh, man. It's some good times. Uh, you know, kind of shifting focus back to, you know, D.C. and, you know, whenever the season gets back, you know, we saw MLS came out this week and said that players are allowed to get back to some of the facilities. You know, how does that change what's going on for y'all? Is it new workouts? You know, how are y'all coordinating that with the players? 
Yeah. Um, we will, we're working on that currently. Um, the last like three or four days have been the, the busiest time of this whole quarantine. Um, just trying to lead up to this and, and figure out exactly what we can do, number one, um, and tie that into the programs that they've already been doing and the sports science stuff that we have has been working really hard. Um, they have been super busy the last couple of weeks because they're constantly creating these programs, updating them, checking on players to make sure they're actually doing them, right? Um, make sure they're doing them correctly and if something needs to be changed, right? So they've been doing a great job. Um, and that's just continued with this and trying to figure out, okay, you know, maybe it's not the most ideal situation. Uh, obviously it's not, <clears throat> but we look at it as, okay, we can now see the players, like get face-to-face -face with them, like, we can figure out where they're at, what they might need to do, you know, if they, we need to shift their workouts or whatever. Um, so do all that thing, but at least be able to see them, right? And, and have this work done on our field in front of us. So I think that's what we're most looking forward to. And this is obviously not normal. It's not a sense of normalcy that we're getting back, but it's, it's a step in the right direction, right? Uh, Are they going to be allowed to so put on the sports bras again to like have you guys measure their vitals <laughs> or is that still off the table? Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's obviously what we want. That's the, the most ideal situation is to get as much information from them as possible in the hour that they are allowed to be on the field. So uh, I believe that is the plan. Yeah, obviously fully sanitized. Um, I don't even know if, yeah, there's a lot of like little details and that's what the league and what now us as, as like our DC specific staff have been working on the last week is um, all those minute details of like, all right, how to get into the stadium how do they where do they park you know um which guy goes to which quadrant of the field first so there's just a, a lot to think about and a lot that we've had to work on uh, but hopefully in the next week or so we'll be able to to get that implemented and approved i think it has to go through the city as well so hopefully they say it's cool yeah well it'd be nice to get know, back <laughs> you know when that announcement came out it did have very for sure. For the players, you know, really so for them to be able to come in and um, as much as they want soccer back. So, you know, cross to you that together and going through all those approval processes. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's a lot, right? But it's it's worth it because we, we want the guys back. I think they're interested to get back to, you know, they, again, even though it's not a normal training situation, this is as close as we're going to get for now, right? And closer than we've been for two months, so. Uh, it'll be nice to have everybody you know, in our building back, for sure. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned, you know, stepping in front of the guys, and you're one of the people who helped transition um, the newer players into DC. Um, so we're just wondering, you know, how that's been different. We had Russell on the show, and you know, he's very complimentary. You know, he seems to love DC, and he's very thankful for all the support he's gotten. Um, but how does how does that support kind of continued and changed now that you can't really see them? Yeah, for sure. Sorry, which who are you talking about? It broke up a little bit when you mentioned his name. Oh, sorry, we talked to Gressel. Oh, Julian. Yeah, cool. Um, so Julian, what happened? He moved very quickly. And there are kind of two types of players. There are players who know what they want, know what they like, and are able to like do the research themselves and even go see places themselves. Um, I have a really great real estate contact. Uh, his name is Jordan Stewart. I want to follow him on Instagram. Um, but Russell, uh, uh, Russell Knaus is a little busy staying in, in form. <laughs> uh, Future of real estate contact, Russell Knaus. 
Correct. Yes, absolutely. Um, anyway, so I, I kind of touched base with him and said, Hey, we, we have this player coming in. Can you help him out? And, and really quickly they found a place. Um, so Julian was able to get settled right away. Um, obviously he's from Atlanta or he was living in Atlanta. So it's not too far away. His wife was able to just drive up with him uh, after preseason or maybe in between camps or something. So um, yeah, it was a, for him, it was specifically very easy move. Um, and I'm glad that he's now, you know, comfortable and him and his wife and his dog are settled and, and all and great. Right. So he was one of the easier ones to deal with for sure. Yeah. But obviously we're not signing anybody. Right. So we're not, yeah. we're not bringing anybody in We're the last player that we got settled was Iguain. And that happened maybe like a week before, uh, it was at the week before the Miami game. So it was like, it was kind of close. But. Yeah. Um, so other thing, because I've seen, you know, players on social media or on other podcasts talking about, you know, living in hotels for several weeks. Have you had to flip out a little bit too? Have we what, sorry? Uh, just, you know, hotels, players talk about having to live in hotels for a little bit. Um, you know, that must be a harder transition. For sure. Uh, I mean, Julian was also in a hotel for quite a while, and especially the guys who we sign either before preseason or like during preseason, they're in a hotel for preseason in Florida, right? So for two weeks, we come home for a little bit, back for 10 days or, or so. And it's tough when you have to spend, uh, you know, several weeks of your life in a hotel. It seems nice at first, but then you know, you're just not comfortable, right? It's not your space. Uh, so that's why we work as hard as we can to get them out of the hotel as quick as possible. Uh, they have up to, I think, three weeks of, of hotel okay. per the CBA. So they can either take that all, you know, if they want, but it's beneficial for everybody, I think, if if they get out of it as soon as possible. So it's just a challenge for international guys, for example, who don't have a social security number, their visa might not even be approved yet. So there's so many hurdles that we have to go through for those guys. Um, to be able to sign a lease and that has happened quite a few times uh, even this year with Edison for example uh, he also got settled very quickly uh, his wife was super helpful his wife speaks pretty good English so she was able to find a realtor and, and talk uh, to them on their own and kind of negotiate a special lease without even having you know a visa approved uh, wow. or not yet uh, so obviously he's, he's all good now he has his visa he's he's permitted to work in the United States uh, <laughs> but uh, there are certain situations that are obviously much more complicated yeah. um, definitely uh, that's a yeah it sounds like it's so much uh, goes into that uh, I, I don't want you to, to reveal anything you're not supposed to you mentioned that you're having your team administrator meetings what's the latest on the rumor mill that you can tell us like if you had a bet on it Will we see games again soon or will they be behind closed doors? Can you let us know anything? Honestly, I would love to be able to not tell you something <laughs> um, because I have no idea. <laughs> uh, we've heard so many different scenarios and situations and I know it came out recently. I think even Garber himself said um, that there's like a possibility of doing a small tournament or like tournaments in different locations. Um, I've heard that is a possibility, um, you know, from the league side, I've heard that they're gonna, you know, there's just so many possibilities. Um, it's, 
a lot of that is super I don't know, tough for me to see. I'm so optimistic and I want to come back and I want to come back so soon. Um, and I think we're going to do it. I think we'll still have a season, but there's just so many things that have to happen before that happens. And I think we're starting to get there. We're starting to get in the right direction, right? But um, the testing, just the PPE equipment that would be necessary for, you know, staff and people around the team, um, it's, it's a lot, right? So we have a lot of hurdles to overcome before we get to even playing games or training fully as a team because that's that's the big part, right? Even if you say, okay, July 1st, we're going to start this tournament. Everybody goes to three different locations or whatever. Uh, we still have to train, right? Like I know the guys have been working out, but it's not the same as, as team training as playing soccer every day, right? So there has to be sort of a mini preseason again, and then we can go into playing games, and that's another four weeks behind, right? So I don't know. I hope uh, I hope we get back soon. <laughs> that is all I can say I think, on that. I think I speak for all of us when I say that we share your optimism and your hope that we do get back out there soon. You know, in a safe manner, of course, but the sooner soccer comes back, the, the better for us. Uh, yeah, of course. You know, we kind of wrap up for us. You know, normally when we have a player on, we ask them to uh, give us a 30-second pitch on why we should buy their jersey on the their name on the back of our jersey uh you know understanding you don't have a uh jersey for sale in the uh the team store uh do you have <laughs> a, a favorite piece of merchandise that we should uh buy in honor of our war of Atlanta? <laughs> um i i will say to buy any jersey in june well if we have a june uh, if we're playing <laughs> games <laughs> but whatever we do for pride game um is very special to me and and i know you guys as supporters do an amazing job supporting that as well but um you know seeing that and seeing the stadium filled with pride flags and the numbers on the back uh, that's what i i think we should do uh, it would it means a lot to me it means a lot to a lot of people so um it's great to see that stuff no, that's awesome. And, and Roy, this has been a, a fantastic interview. We really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time. And, and at least between the two of us, hopefully Real Madrid can come out on top uh, in La Liga this year and, and, and we can celebrate that title yes, uh, hopefully hope so. soon. <laughs> so we, we really appreciate it. That would be a situation. I heard what you guys were talking about before with Paris and, uh, and the <laughs> French League. If they call La Liga and say that okay, Barcelona is a champion, I'm gonna lose my mind. Yeah, we can't. We can't have that. It's not like in, it's not like PSG where they're 12 points away or whatever. It's Two so points. close. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. It's gonna but be. Thank you very much, guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Roy. Thanks, Roy. We're gonna set it to break, and uh, we'll be right back to talk about uh, a, a fascinating idea that's really picking up some legs lately uh, with a, a Liga MX MLS merger right here on Tried and True, the DC United post game podcast presented by Heineken. <laughs> This 
And we're back here on Tried and True, the DC United postgame podcast presented by Heineken. And that was an awesome interview with Royce. Absolutely fascinating to hear about the role he plays and, and just how crazy it sounds like every season is <laughs> in, yeah. in, in Major League Soccer, let alone when there's a global pandemic. Yeah, I love it. I, um, I mean, again, I grew up in the area. I grew up going to games, too. And you know, everyone always says to me, like, oh, you should go work for the team. And that would be for you and I kind of often just stay on the fan side of it but it was great seeing Rory's like passion while he was talking about the team you know it kind of me looking at like what my life could have been so I'm glad brings that passion in your life and you know really appreciate being able to work in such close proximity with the team yeah, it was awesome, and, and definitely somebody you can live vicariously through because it sounds like he's got just a really, really cool job. Um, and and I, I suspect this won't be the last time we talked to Rory. We that was that was a really, really fascinating interview. Uh, but another thing that's that's, I guess before we dive in, we gotta we gotta fall back on some bad news from the week uh, that that we teased in the first segment. Um, the U.S. Women's National Team uh, lost their their case, or at least a portion of it. Um, they they can still appeal. Uh, but to me, you know, I, I think I was somewhat um, I don't know, encouraged when, when there was a bit of a changing of the guard uh, a few months ago at the U.S. Soccer Federation. And hopefully there, there's a chance with the new leadership there that, that we can just get to the common sense solution and put this all behind us. But boy, in the court of public opinion, this is this is not great and, and not not expected either. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it a little bit in public opinion is maybe why it was so unexpected you know I don't have a legal background so I haven't read exactly what the case was so um it, I mean again I'm not a lawyer I could be misspeaking but to me it felt like the decision came pretty quickly and pretty definitively um so you know maybe I don't know again what the details of the case are Joshua and I were talking about it it's a little bit beyond the just the money that the players get, right? Like some of what I've seen on Twitter and things like that, or that, you know, you can't really monetize the opportunities, right? So if, you know, the federation is pushing more sponsorship for the men's side than the women's side, or, you know, they're going out and seeking more for the men's side, you know, that 
not something that you can monetize right off the bat or, you know, promoting men's games, you know, it's sometimes easier to find a men's game on TV than it is a women's game. And that then translates to things you can actually monetize. So I think that this is so much bigger and you're right, you know, in the court of public opinion, it is really heartbreaking to see that this decision has come down. But you're right, changes have been made. Um, and I think that some things have really been brought to light. So even if, you know, I know that they're going to be able to appeal, they're likely to do so, you know, even if things don't legally come out in the way that potentially you want it to, hopefully, I mean, changes could still happen, right? Like, U.S. soccer could win this case and then still turn around and say, like, let's figure out this case structure in a way that feels Me remaining really optimistic. Well, yeah, and I think my only only word on it is I don't want to be get into the trenches and fight their CBA argument with them. They that's between U.S. Soccer and the U.S. Women's National Team. I just I think the only solution will ever be to this if U.S. Women's Soccer and U.S. Men's Soccer or or just global soccer it's on the same playing field. And you know that just comes down to the sports being you know followed the same and encouraged the same. Uh, I would love it. Yeah, you know, I don't think any of us are legal experts. You know, I made an attempt to read through the opinion today, but you know, a lot of it was focusing on specific windows and you know, measuring numbers versus other numbers and you know, who had a World Cup cycle. I think you know, I saw somebody on Twitter made the point that the US Soccer Federation may have saved millions of dollars by not qualifying for the World Cup because that changed the way that this came out. But I think I, I share what y'all were saying that even if uh, U.S. Soccer Federation won on the legal merits, I think that in the court of public opinion, that they're they've got a, a challenge here. So it may be something that long term they have to sort out and get something that everyone's happy with. Because even if the judge comes in and U.S. Soccer Federation wins, there's going to be you know hurt feelings. There's going to be issues moving forward. The case isn't fully resolved. They still have some discussions on training and medical care and things like that. But I think the summary judgment, you know, hopefully at least pushes them back to the table to uh, see how they can address it moving forward. As U.S. soccer fans, there's nothing worse than having challenges both on the field with every single men's national team game and off the field with seemingly everything. It's uh, it's frustrating, but hopefully we can, we can get past it. You know, another interesting off the field uh, topic that's really grown some legs and we, we've, we've teased it a couple times today MLS and uh, and the the Mexican League Liga MX potentially merging. It's something that I think MLS has been very conscious of for years now. Is just how big the Mexican market here is in the U.S. Um, this was supposed to be the first year uh, that we've had the kind of the crossover game uh, for the All Star game with the All Stars from Liga MX, which was going to be fascinating. Um, but th- at least during the past couple weeks, and I don't know if it's because there's nothing else to talk about in, in the world of coronavirus, but it seems like this idea has really grown some legs lately. And, you know, to me, one of the most fascinating and in-depth looks at it actually came from Twitter. Uh, there was a, a proposal that really broke down how this could potentially work. Six different divisions uh, with league play against the folks within your your division and then interleague play against two of the other uh, of the other five divisions every season you'd rotate through so there's there's a number of teams you wouldn't see every year uh in this scenario which by the way is not new to mls or at least in theory this year we weren't going to play a couple teams might not see a lot of teams with the way it's going um 
but to me, this was probably the most real look at how this could work. We've talked about it for years, and, and no one's really speculated that next level of, you know, would it just be two kind of separate leagues that would play their own thing during the season, and then they just have playoffs together, or would they try to, to cross over some games in the middle? But this is an absolutely fascinating look, and we'll, we'll tweet this out um, after the show. But guys, I'm I'm really curious your thoughts on this because there's a big part of me that feels like something like this uh, is inevitable. We've seen it with the League's Cup, we've seen it with the the Campeones Cup. But what do we think? So in the United States, uh, Mr. Shitting article, you know the top ten soccer games in the United States last year for TV viewership. You know, number one was the Apertura final between America and Monterey. It was you know, far and away got the best ratings, and the other you know eight of the top ten games were Premier League games. So there's definitely interest in Liga MX in the United States. It draws eyes. That's why MLS keeps trying to add additional tie-ins with them, adding the League's Cup, uh, having the Campeones Cup. There's you know, plenty of ways they're trying to do it. I have some concerns about whether it be long-term viable, even if you're only talking about making some of those long road trips every couple of years, as this proposal talked about, you know, it's five, six different divisions. Uh, we're still already, ha- we're having issues with travel, trying to get teams on charter flights. I can't imagine Vancouver is going to It's going to be, going to make Rory's job a lot more difficult, huh? <laughs> and, you know, teams talk about that going into Champions League. Hey, how, tra- how difficult it is to travel and how that throws off the rest of the season. I, I just... It doesn't sit right with me. For me, if you want to grow the game, if you want to, you know, try to either catch up to Liga MX as MLS, you make the Concacaf Champions League something that really actually matters, something closer to what we see from UEFA, because that's kind of the route that you get the interest, you get people tied in watching the games. Uh, I, I think that trying to merge the leagues is kind of an easy way out, and it may not be as easy as they hope it is. I, I agree. I think it would be, man, I, I'll i just come out and say I'm, I'm totally against this. I think, it's, like you said, Black, it, it's a kind of a short-sighted move. If you look at it from the base, so- soccer is beautiful because it's like a, a grassroots sports. In England, there's teams in every single town, and you root for your town, even if they're in like the third division, like Leicester was, what, in 2011, 2013, and then they go on to win the Premier League. I'll, I'll, I'll give you one, John. Uh, but that's 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 what's beautiful about the sport is that that can happen. And you're never going to have that if you have a 45-team league that's going to be closed off because th- that league would be closed off. And, and FIFA's been fighting this forever. They've been fighting against a European Super League because there's big money behind that. Uh, so I don't even know if, one, FIFA would allow it, and two, if, if it's even plausible. We, we'd be doing away trips thousands of miles we thought seattle was bad it would be ridiculous i, I don't think it's feasible i don't think it'd be good for the game I, i'm yeah. totally not for this it wouldn't be good for like a like casual mls fan and you know we are all obviously like even larger than like casual fan but i mean yeah we try to go to as many away games as possible but we throw a lot of those games in mexico where you know you change it around like i just i mean follow as somebody who follows like most of MLS, I try to watch as many 
structured. You know, this thing that we saw on Twitter, and yes, it's not consistent to play goal. It might not be this way, but, you know, when you're playing frozen sometimes, and, you know, it might take six years to play at a certain location, you know, that just, it feels very cumbersome. It doesn't feel like something that's going to be easily followed. So to me, that uses long-term fans who are, you know, going to be the ones who are consistently coming back. It's just avoiding, you know, potentially the reason that those games, you know, the viewership is so up after game two, like potentially because it's not super accessible, right? It's a one-time thing. It's kind of like the World Cup, right? Like how many people watch the World Cup? Not all those people watch soccer every week, right? It's just no. because it's like a special thing. So you kind of take that away and you just make it this really cumbersome, hard to follow league. You don't know who's winning. You don't know how you win. I already don't agree with the fact that we're not playing all the teams on the last, but the fact that you're creating the Super League and you never play like any but seven teams, I don't know. It feels ridiculous to me. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really difficult to have this conversation without at least mentioning promotion relegation. You know, I, that's one of the things that in the Mexican League over the in, just recently, you know, they they basically killed pro rel um, for the pat for the next what four to five to six years. I, I can't remember the exact figure they kind of landed on, um, but I think that's one of the challenges that they would say they're having is you know teams that they try to bring up. Um, it's it's not financially sound for them right um but joshua you know some of the points you made about you know soccer being so beautiful in 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 europe um totally agree uh, i think that's one of the things that fascinates me so much about england and why i enjoy going there is because there are just teams all over the place and they've all got a chance to you know to make it to the big time and and, and win the title it's it's hard to say that without recognizing the challenges that everyone's facing right now in, in the world of coronavirus because I fear that things won't be the same uh, in, in a lot of those European countries, you know, a year or two from now when the dust really settles on this. Um, but but it's also interesting, you know, bringing up the European Super League, which scares the hell out of me because I know Leicester City wouldn't be part of it, um, which is tough because we've we've been in that European conversation for the past, you know, five years or so. Uh, but but historically, that that's not a place that, you know, we, we would easily lose out to six other teams, uh, you know, in England that would be part of that. Um, but I don't know. I mean, we don't have promotion relegation here in the U S um, it's falling apart or has fallen apart, if you will, uh, in, in Mexico. And you wonder, you know, is, is this the, the path to sustainability that the Mexican league sees? And is it the path to just blowing the ratings wide open that MLS sees? That's the part to me that, that I think is intriguing on both sides. Um, but at least the, the one saving grace to me, um, at least in this proposal that, that we've been kind of digging into here, is that at least all of the local rivals um, for all these teams would still see a home and away every year. And I think I could really live with that piece of it. That was one of my biggest fears was, oh, my God, are all of the away games going to be on the West Coast and in Mexico? Like, that's a nightmare. You know, as much fun as that would be to see some of those cities, it also costs a fortune. You know, it's a, you, maybe you're only going to one a year instead of four or five or six. Um but I think if they can find a way to keep the local rivals, I could get behind it um, more so than I thought. Well, you've already got some of that in some of the lower divisions. You know, some of the USL divisions are regional, trying to keep those travel costs down. You don't play nearly as many potential games outside of that core group. So, you know, I can appreciate the value of maintaining that, but I don't necessarily think that's 
the end all be all. And you know, to Sam's point earlier, I'm all for more soccer. I'd love to watch, I guess, 27 games any given weekend. I'd love uh, to watch was, any games at this point, but <laughs> amen to that. I'd love to watch the 27 games, but at the same time, I do think you'd have a hard time putting it all together. Then you end up with a 16 team playoff. I don't really see how that's mapped out in this. Uh, I get a headache even just thinking about it. I don't want to go the route of a uh, a super league. You know, if you eventually were to do something where you have tiers for North American soccer and you try to do pro well, you know, then let's have that conversation. Then also make sure that all the teams are on the same le- level. Like, you know, how does the single entity structure work with the league on these teams that are allowed to spend as much as they want to? Uh, I think you've got a lot of hurdles to jump over before you can really talk about having a true combined league and trying to play a 57 team league. That's that's a lot. Yeah, and I wonder how this will be perceived around the world. You know, MLS is already starting to fight for real recognition, and you know, we're starting to get there as a non-you know retirement league. Um, so if we were to have this big super league, like. Would that gain respect? Would it lose respect? How would that, you know, play into player transfers? Would European players want to come to America or to Mexico, knowing that they're going to have to potential potentially travel a whole lot? Um, you know, I don't know that we would have like big name players within the league anymore, right? Like, obviously, if you know the likes of David Beckham or you know Wayne Rooney come back, I'm just thinking about you know those like big super names from Europe that the um, league really tried to capitalize on is you have 54 teams you know it's hard enough for me to keep track of all the players in MLS and I try to catch as many games as possible so it, you wouldn't have the superstars that are coming out that you can also kind of cash in on their likeness and you know their jersey sales and things like that I don't know I just don't like it I, I think we're all kind of on the same page I appreciate the call from Sam for this one um, <laughs> well yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely, I think, one, we're going to have to have the promotion relegation show sooner rather than later because it's, it's, it is difficult to really dig into this conversation without going deep there either. But personally, I, I think that, um, you know, some of what you guys were saying, the U.S. is closer to, you know, one, around the world, I think we're, we're less of a retirement league now. And, and particularly in England, you know, there's a lot of folks that are interested in MLS, um, you know, not just the the folks that have hardcore MLS teams, but also, you know, when, when I was there in, 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 uh, in January, we had folks who I was talking to that were like, you know, Hey, we used to watch this kind of as a joke, you know, late at night after we had a bunch of beers, we turn on the MLS game, but like now, you know, the level of competition is, is, is improving. It's, it's, it's actually a lot of fun to watch now. It's less of a joke. Um, and, and I think, you know, that's obviously we all feel very strongly that the league's made some big strides. And, um, you know, I, I would almost argue that, a, a longer term, I guess a better path to longer term uh, stability would be to potentially introduce promotion relegation down the road whenever that time comes, right? And whenever the money's there. I think if you do this uh, Mexican League merger, you pretty much kill that idea. And then how do you get out of, of something like that down the road? And that, that's a that's a really challenging piece. Yeah, I mean, I think also kind of spoke on this too, but you know, you kind of kill that like youth development like I think it'd be hard you know how does that even work that's already such a fluctuating thing in the U.S. and it's already something that is literally about to change again now that the U.S. Soccer Federation is announcing they're not doing that MLS is kind of taking it up on um, the boys side you know I don't 
see how that would work. I don't see how that makes our national team better. Um, I don't know. I just don't, I don't see the benefit for our fans. I understand that it's potentially like a big money maker, but I don't even see how that could potentially be long term if people are very turned off to the idea. I don't know. It just doesn't feel great. It feels like just another thing that we can talk about while we wait for soccer and, and sports around the world to come back. Hopefully, uh, you know, the, it sounds like the Premier League had interesting conversations this week um, and, and they're, they're, they're inching closer. Um, but, man, it's going to be <laughs> it's going to be a fascinating few weeks. Yeah, it will. I think um, It'll be yeah, we'll keep doing the show. We'll keep having uh, guests on. We'll keep having things to talk about. But uh, I would very much like to have games to break down. Yeah, we were all very excited this week because it felt like there was a lot of soccer news coming out, especially in the last couple of days. We're like, oh, we have new things to talk about. But I mean, you're right. I'm a DFS partner. Have some games. Um, I love Dory. Said that he wished he could kind of do something, but he can't yet. Um, but I mean, it does sound like the league really is looking into all options, and I prefer that than just, you know, oh, let's fit in as many games as possible. You know, I think if they're trying to look at it from all angles, hopefully that means we're getting games back sooner rather than later. You know, as soon as possible. Well, hopefully something <laughs> exciting is just around the corner. Fingers crossed. Well, we'll be here for you guys uh, next weekend uh, with with another show uh, live with hopefully uh, I'll tell you Rory set the bar high for the interview so <laughs> we'll see we'll see who we can get to to join us next week and uh, and 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 help us kill a little more time as we inch closer and closer to the return of sports that I know we're all anxiously awaiting. Uh, so thanks so much for, for joining us tonight. Uh, if you've got feedback for the show, feel free to email us at tridentruedcu at gmail or hit us up on any of the social channels at tridentrue. DCU, we really appreciate you uh, taking the time to, to join us this weekend. Stay safe. Uh, enjoy the beautiful weather here on the East Coast, although I think it's supposed to rain most of tomorrow. Uh, but we're, we're, we're turning the corner into summer. The, the dog days will be here before you know it, and, and then we'll all want to be inside for a different reason. <laughs> but this has been Tried and True, the DC United postgame podcast presented by Heineken, and we'll talk to you real, real soon. Thanks for joining us. Oh, yeah, we're here, 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 we're here,
Oh, my God.